Welcome to Salem First Assembly Podcast. May this week's message by Pastor Brian D. Corkin be a blessing to your life in helping you to grow in your understanding of God's Word, strengthen your faith, and equip you to become all that God has created you to be. Look at your neighbor and ask them this morning, are you ready to receive? Because the heart can never receive if it's not prepared. Jesus was with his people and speaking to his people, his own disciples, and there's many times his own disciples didn't get it. People didn't get it. Why is it? Why don't people really get it? Because their hearts are not prepared. They don't want to sometimes receive what God is doing. We're in 1 Peter, and you know 1 Peter is a book that is going, uh, telling us, encouraging us that when people have problems, um, what do you do? What do you do when you have a problem? What do you do when it's really hard? What do you do when you feel the winds? What do you do when you don't have answers? This is exactly what 1 Peter is talking about. It's talking about people who are under trials and tribulations and troubles and situations of the pressure and pain. And they're under situations where it's not, it's not joyful. And they're persecuted because, here, here it comes, because they have a belief system. So not only did they have the Roman government upon them, they had their own Jewish people upon them because they were following Jesus, known as a group called The Way. They were Christians. And we've talked all about from chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3. Today we're going to be in chapter 4. And we're going to look at this to understand that it's a, it's, you've got to remember what God has done for you. You have to remember the promises that God has given unto you. Listen to me. Listen. If you fail to remember what God has done and doing, the next problem you face, you will not face it well because you have forgotten all of the goodness and the greatness that God has already done. You see, he, the Spirit of God through Peter is reminding these individuals they have a blessing, a living hope. They have an inheritance that it will not fade or destroy, will not go away. They have so much. And then it talks about all that God is going to do. It's like God just piles brick upon brick upon brick. We need to remember that. Someone say remember. remember. One of the gifts that you can do is when you're faced with a trial is to remember. And today I want to take chapter 4. And as I told you last week, I'm going to take a chapter each week. we got one more chapter to go. And for me to take a chapter, it's so hard. But I'm doing this for you. <laughs> living, living for God while under trials. It's so important. Uh, Last week, we finished off the aspect of submission because we don't like submission. We have our spirit in human life wants to say, don't tell me what to do. I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it, but don't you tell me. See, that's what people want to say. But that is not what Jesus Christ has taught us. Jesus Christ humbled himself even to the cross, as Philippians chapter 2 teaches us. So we need to be submissive in every level of relationship. And we talked about all the different levels of being submissive and how Jesus Christ was our greatest example. So today we're going to like turn the corner a little bit, but let me let me tell you a little bit about a woman named Patricia St. John. Patricia St. John was a, just a normal woman. And there was nothing so special about her. But she had such an incredible faith in a sense where she said to the Lord, "Lord, I will go anywhere you want me to go, any country, any place." To help those in need. And so she did that for many, many years. There was a point in her life where something 
changed. She was in the country of Sudan, in the place of Sudan, and all of the refugees were coming into Sudan because of the war and, the, and all of the things taking place. And all of the people, all the refugees had just suffered great harm, great persecution, great loss. But there was a group of Christians in this group of refugees. And as she was trying to help them, all of the Christians that one night got together, started praising God, and they were excited about God. Their worship was so moving, moving that she said, here are people who are refugees, who have lost everything, who have lost family members, and here they are praising God. And she had this change in her mind to say, though everything has changed about their life, they have not changed. I want you to get that. Even though they're in a mess right now, their life is in a mess, their faith isn't. How do we get to a point... I've been some th- through some tough times. You've been through tough times. And when, you've been, when you're in a mess, when you're in a situation you don't like, anybody been there, you're in a situation you don't like, and you get a little grumpy? Huh? Do we have any grumpy people in the house? Hmm? Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks for being honest. <laughs> we all get grumpy sometimes. The other day, just the other day, I was grumpy Brian. I was GB. And I had to get a hold of that attitude that I have, and we're going to talk about attitude in a little bit. She said this, God does not lift people out of a situation. He himself comes into the situation. It's sort of like the fourth man in the fire. But do we recognize he's in the fire? It's a reckon, you've got to recognize God is there because your flesh doesn't want to. Your flesh wants to complain and look at something negative. But the spirit man will look at God and remind yourself what God says. That changes attitude. He does not pluck out his disciples from the darkness, but instead he enters into the darkness and becomes their light. You see how God works? Sometimes we're always praying, God, get me out. And God says, no, no, no. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to come into your darkness. I'm going to be your light so you can see my power, my ways, and my miraculous hand so you rise up a great testimony for my name. That's what you call relationship. It happens in relationship. When you have a horizontal relationship, you go through some stuff, don't you? Has anybody have a relationship you've never had a problem with? Not one person watching online or even here has ever had a relationship that you never had a problem. You know, we've been friends for 28 years. We never had one fight. Then that friendship hasn't been tested. We've been married for 50 years. Geneva are now, what, 52? 54. 54 years. Not having one fight. (laughs) He says, that's funny. Yeah, that's right. And this is what makes relationships. The beauty of a river is not the water flowing down the mountain. The beauty of a river is the rocks it hits that makes the beautiful sound. And in the hitting of the rocks is where you get the beauty of the sound. That makes the beauty of the river. Sometimes trials and things that come into our life, we don't like them. They're hard. But it's in that moment you get to know who God is. It's in that moment where all of a sudden you have a relationship that is no longer in theory, not, o- not only in theology, but it's in relationship. 
It's a hands-on relationship. It reminds me of Acts 16.25 when Peter and Silas were put in prison. Remember that? Cast out this demon and this woman, this young lady that was, uh, pro- uh, that was saying all kind of stuff that was demonically impressed. And finally Paul gets mad and says, I had enough of this. Even though what this demonic spirit was saying was true. He had enough and they cast out the spirit and they found themselves beaten and thrown in prison. And at 12 o'clock, you know what they were doing? They were kicking cans and complaining and saying, why did God put us in here? We were doing something good for him. It's not fair. No, that's not what God, they were doing. They said, hey, let's sing. You know, if you ever had a friend, you're having a miserable day, and they say, hey, let's pray. You look at them and say, shut up. <laughs> That's what Silas and Peter, they're in prison. They just got beaten up. And then all of a sudden, I don't know, we don't know who said what, but we do know this. They started to sing, and everybody else started to listen. They started to lead in the midst of the pain. They started to lead in the midst of the pressure. And when you lead in the midst of the pressure, that's when character is built. Now, I don't know about you, but a great story took place there. God's intervention showed up there. And a whole household got saved there only because, only because somebody started to sing in the midst of the pressure. Now, I don't know if that won't float your boat, but this boy's having a hard time staying still. Because if God does that in your camp, oh, that camp's not going to stay the same. They're going to be a little hoo and holler in that camp. So let's take our journey this morning. And as we go to our portion of scripture. And I want you to read with me the portion here in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1. So they, can you hit me guys? Verse 1, it says, therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, I'm yourself also with the same attitude. This is important. Because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. Let's stop for a second. We all know when a scripture starts off with therefore, it's there for a reason. We all know that. But look, let me remind you from chapter 3. Because, you know, at one time they didn't have the chapters. They didn't have the verses. It was a continual narrative. And the only thing in the original manuscript were paragraphs before it was separated so that we could find things easier. And so this is a continuation from chapter 3. And in chapter 3, we read in verse 9, Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. I love to read that three times for all of us. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to do, and he will bless you for it. In verse 13 and 14, it told us, Now... Who will want to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you suffer by doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Someone say amen. Verse 18 says this, it reminds us. Christ suffered for our sins once and for all times. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death. But he was raised to life by the Spirit. Now we get to chapter 4, therefore. And therefore, it reminds us of the importance of what was just shared, of all this encouragement of the promise 
I have in Christ. The promise you have in Christ. Someone say, I have a promise. I have a promise. You have to remind yourself of the promise. That's what First Peter is doing to the people in persecution. They're being persecuted. They have a promise. Now look what it says here. This is powerful. Arm yourself. It says, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourself with the same attitude because he who has suffered in the body is done with sin. Same attitude. Same attitude. Have you, if you've been around me enough, you've heard this saying. Your attitude will, af- be, will affect your gratitude. Your gratitude will affect the altitude in which you live your life. Your attitude. How many times you, how many times you have a family member who has a bad attitude? And raise your hand if you ever had a family member who had a bad attitude. <laughs> okay, raise your hand if you had a, very, had a bad attitude. Yeah. Look what it says, though. Therefore... All of the promises that God has given to us, therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, I'm yourself. I'm yourself also with the same attitude. And we say, oh, God, uh, this is what we look down sometimes. Like, yeah, I know. The same attitude because your attitude is everything. Jesus Christ suffered. He had an attitude and he submitted himself. See, our attitude is a weapon. It's one of the weapons that God has told us to prepare our mind. And, and it's, it's, people say the heart. It really is your mind. It is a soul, part of the intellect. The mind, protect that. It's a soldier. When a soldier goes into battle, does he look like me? No. He has all the military stuff. He's got the, all the camp. He's got the, all these things around his waist. He's got his M16. He's ready. He's prepared. He's armed for battle. But in the Christian realm, to arm yourself with the same attitude is protecting your mind, your noose. It's protecting your way you think. It's, it's understanding what God has told you and then your faith, your belief system, because your belief must be seen in your behavior. You know, if you're not behaving, if your attitude is like, you know, kind of sarcastic, cocky, uh, you know what I mean? Just that, that's not the attitude of Christ. I love one of the greatest compliments that God gives Moses. He says, Moses was the most humblest man on the face of the earth. I don't know about you, but I think that's the most greatest compliment ever. When someone can say that they're a humble girl, they're a humble man. They recognize no matter what giftings, no matter what they have, whatever God has blessed them, they have put themselves submissively under God, and they recognize that i got to keep the same attitude that God gives us, God does take away. Necessarily take away, but he, he does something new that we don't see at the right point. Your attitude is so important. I love this story, and I, gotta, I had to tell you this story about attitude. How many would say, before I do, how many would say that you struggle with your attitude? Rich, just be bold. Come on, be bold. Yep, 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 yep. Good for you. Good for you. Thank you for being honest. Hey, listen, my hand's up too. Because you know why? It's called the human race. And we have to submit ourselves to the word of God. Listen about this story. True story. Kind of funny, but true story. It was identical twins. And I love twins, and sometimes I will tell people, they'll say, how you doing? I'm saying, I'm better than twins. Until I met a mother who said, you never had twins, have you? And I said, no. She said, you probably wouldn't say that saying if you had twins. But here's the story. There is two identical twins, and 
One of the twins was the most negative, naysaying type of twin you could ever meet. I mean, he looked at it always as the cup was half empty. No matter what, it was unmistakable he was negative Tom. But the other one was positive. Nothing could happen that he could see something negative. Everything was positive. But the problem the parents had was the dichotomy between the two sons was so different. One, everything's wrong. And the other side was nothing's ever wrong. And the parents thought it was pretty bad that they were that bad. So they, they went to a counseling. And the counselor says, this is what we're going to do. Christmas is coming up. And so what I want you to do for the, the one that's so negative, I want you to give him the best gift you can possibly afford. I mean, don't spare anything. Just give him the best of the best, whatever you can, can afford. And on the other one that's very positive, I want you to give him a box of manure. And so at first they said, seriously? This will balance it off. So sure enough, on the on Christmas time came, and so uh, the negative Tom went to his gifts that he had, and he had this giant box. He unwraps it, and he's all, you know, he is wrapping it, not very fast. Unwrapping it, gets to it. It's a brand new bike. He says, I don't like it. The wrong color. And then he says, I don't like that type of seat. That will hurt me. He said, I, I don't really like this bike at all. I don't even like the there's, you see the tires on this thing? Not good. He said, I'll probably ride this thing and hurt myself. So the parents were kind of like discouraged by the first one, but he went to the second one. He said, surely the second one's going to be success. Opens it up. It's a brand new computer. Brand new, best out there, top of the line, and inside it is some games. He opens it up and says, yeah, don't like this type, this model of the computer. It's not very good. Oh, those games, those games are lousy. I don't like those games. Oh, those joysticks that they, they have, they don't even work very good. And all he could do was say something negative about all the gifts that cost the parents a lot. Finally, the other twin was going over to his gift. And so he went over his gift and he opened it up with such joy. Ah, he only had one gift. He opened it up and finally opened up the cover, and there was a whole box of manure. And he started to take the manure and started to throw it up in the air and say, Woohoo, woohoo, yeah, and just celebrating. And the parents were crazy until he said this With all this manure, there has to be a pony somewhere around here. <laughs> the optimists. The optimist, see, the attitude. When you have an attitude, no matter what happens, you sometimes can see something positive in it. And people who are negative hate the people who are positive. You know, they, they just, you know, they're, they're positive about it. Well, you can't find your shoes, your favorite shoes. Well, that's okay. You have other pairs. They're not my favorite. God bless you. <laughs> You see, your attitude is so important, so we need to really grab hold of this, and we need to make sure that it's a military option in your life. Arm yourself with the same attitude of Christ. Well, how can we? We can learn from this, can't we? Look at this. Philippians 2, 5 and 8 says, Your attitude should be the same that of Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider himself equality with God, something to be grasped. But made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being formed in the appearance of man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death on a cross. 
See, so we have to ask ourselves when problems come, and they will do, trials will come, what is your attitude? Is God going to be the one that you're going to go to? Trust me on this one. I know about this quite well. I've gone through some stuff. And let me tell you something. I have found such great joy to know that no matter what mess you may face, God will bless. You, you hold on to the reins and let God be God. And you get your attitude in check and let God be the God of your life. And he will do a work in you, through you, and around you. Look at your neighbor and just say, amen, that's good stuff. Living with the right attitude, listen to this, as a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. In verse 2, it really helps all of us to understand what God is trying to do. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. Now, this is a list of stuff that takes place in a person's life. But he says, when a person has the right attitude and has had a transformation, they are no longer living according to the old ways they're living. They have disconnected from that type of living. They are not living wild lives anymore in sin. They are not doing the things that the world is doing. Why? Because they have now chosen, chosen to do something different in their heart and life. They have made Jesus the authority of their life. One way in Jesus. It's a beautiful portion of Scripture to you understand. As a result of this attitude, being in Christ, something changes in you and I. And that change needs to be consistent. And we have to be careful. We do not open ourselves up to allow other stuff to come into our life. You can start strong, but you can end weak. If you don't continually keep your hands to the plow, Someone say amen. 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 It's really important. Colossians tells us this. Do not lie with each other since you have taken off your old self, which is its practices. You know, the old self has practices that that God says no longer. And it says, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed. Watch this now. This is great. In the knowledge and the image of its creator. And the only way you can renew the new self is you've got to be in the word. I tell this to youth. I tell this to everybody I come in contact with. If you're not in Scripture, if you're not in Scripture, you're never going to know God. You cannot know God while I pray. No, I don't care. You can pray all you want. Your knowledge is not going to grow. It's like communication without understanding is really weak communication. So you need to get into the Word of God. You need to read it. Then you need to study it. Then you have to become it. You really get it in you. David said, I've taken your Word and hid it in my heart that I may not sin against you. The only way you have that ammunition to stand strong is because greater is he that's in you. What's in you? His word. His word. Look at Galatians. This is a beautiful portion of Scripture to memorize. Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. No, I no longer live. I've said, I've said this from the very beginning. I no longer live. My life is not about myself. But Christ lives in me. And the life I now live, I live in the body. I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me. And gave himself for me. Say this right now. God loves me. Now say it like you really mean it. God loves me. You know how many times people don't feel they're loved? And this is what. They have a conditional love in their heart. In their mind. Well, I haven't, I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I know I'm doing this and I shouldn't. And therefore, God don't love me. That's a lie from the pit of hell. 
God loves you across the board. It ain't conditional. Don't you make it conditional when he hasn't made it conditional. Don't you put a period where he puts a comma. You see, God loves you. And now what God wants to bring you to in the sanctification process, he wants to bring you to the point where all of a sudden you can say, as Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. He's in prison right now. You see? He's in prison. But when things get tough, you know what we do? We sometimes go, oh, God. But no, no. You've got to allow your faith to rise up beyond your situation to know your Savior is working. Remind your saint next to you. Remind your friend next to you. God is still working. Good. Just tell him God's still working. Verse 4. You need to understand you have to live with the right focus. It's so important for you and I to understand that God is on your side, but we need to live with the right focus. It says in verse 4, they think it's strange that you no longer plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation. And they heap abuse on you. Now, dissipation is simply a descent into sin. It's a process in which a person starts in a particular area and degrades because they start hanging around with the, the bad company. The f- company you keep is the food you eat. And dissipation is a slowly dissolving away of your virtue. Just like as clouds dissipate, they fade away. Let me tell you something. The greatest thing is the people you hang with or the stuff you put into you will determine what you become. And if you want to become what God has already created you to become, you have to do and put in the ingredients he has offered to you. So that all of a sudden you're going through life with his ingredients, not what they said about you, not what you think about yourself. Do you know the number one thing that people have been discouraged from? Their own words. Their own words. I have been with numerous, numerous of people. And when we talk about the things of life, and I ask them, why do you feel that way? And they'll say, somebody once said, and I've always believed it. And I said, that's where you've gone wrong, because you're listening to the wrong voice. God wants to speak, but we have to prepare the heart to listen to what God wants to do. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. It's so important. And this is exactly what's happening. And so Peter is just reminding that when you're different and you're living with people that are different, you're going to stick out. If if this room was completely dark and you came in with one little teeny little candle, would we see you? Uh, I'm going to say if you were in a stadium, a stadium that could hold... Say 30,000 people, and I put one candle in the stadium, you would know where I was. Because light stands out wherever it is. And so when you're in a place and people don't really see it the way you see it, you still got to be that light. You got to be who you are. And that's what First Peter's talking about, people going under the pressure. And so when you're changed, you're not going to be joining in. I lost all my friends when I got saved. I had a posse of friends, lost them all because I no longer wanted to party the way they wanted to party. And I had a party, and I had mixed drinks too. I mixed orange juice with grapefruit juice. I mixed um, Coke with grapefruit juice. I, I told them I had mixed drinks, but they didn't come. They said I was no fun. 
Because in this world, in this world, if you don't use drugs, if you don't use their ingredients that the world has, that only causes more pain and more anguish, they don't, they, they don't think this fun. They don't, most people don't even know how to have real good fun. They don't. They don't. They just think that it has to happen the way the world is. If you're with people, you, you gotta, even if a person don't drink, I know people that don't drink, but they'll put a, a, something in their hand just so they can mix in. So when I go to the places and everybody's drinking, they're like, you want to drink? No, I don't drink. I'll have some water. Or I'll have some, you know, if I want to drink something. I'm not going to try to identify with you. I don't drink. So why should I even drink, right? So stand up. You know, don't try to just be you. Because it stands out. It's the light. Just being you, who you are. People sometimes are afraid to be who you are. But when you do, you'll never know where you're going. Verse 5 and 6. Listen to this. But they will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached, even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to the men in regard to the body, but alive according to God in regard to the spirit. Listen, there's a judgment coming. You know, there's a lot of people who want you to be just like them because they want you to make them feel good. But we... As God's people, you need to say, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Now, we don't know when. It could be tomorrow, and it could be another hundred years. We don't know. No man knows the hour. But the Bible does say, look at the times. Times are quick and quick, and they're going fast. And things are changing fast, really fast. But we don't know. But it says right here, but they will have to give account to him who is ready. Someone say ready. Ready to judge the living and the dead. There's going to be a time there's going to be accountable. Listen, how you live on earth is important. Is important. Very important. Let me read you verse 4 from another verse. Another translation. Verse 4 says this, another translation. Of course, your former friends are surprised when you no longer plunge into the flood of the wild and destructive things they do. So they'll slander you. This is exactly what verse says. Because you don't do what they want you to do, they slander you. Today, if you don't believe what they want you to believe, they'll slander you. If you just fight against what they they slander you. And you know what? Listen, it's okay. Just respond with love, gracefulness, in mercy, you don't have to fight every battle, saint. If someone says to me, and they have, I am the worst preacher on the face of the earth. That's what they told me. And you know what I said to them? Thank you so much for your, um, for your opinion. I deeply appreciate that. You have a great day. That's all. Hey, you're not going to, to me, I have no problem with that. I'm good with that. So if you think that today, you think, I am the worst preacher I have, the worst preacher on the face of the earth. I am okay with that. I will say thank you, and then I'll probably see what I can do to improve. <laughs> because you know what? We've got to look at the bigger picture. And the bigger picture is always responding the way God wants us to respond. Love thy neighbor, love thy enemy. Ooh, see the picture? It's always how we respond. It's never the problem, but how we respond to the problem that becomes the greater problem. Isn't that a problem? Every individual will have to give account. 
before the Lord, his actions, his unbelief. Hebrews 9.27 says, A man is destined to die but once, but once, and then after that, the judgment. Matthew tells this, and this is a powerful one. Matthew chapter 12, 36, 37. But I tell you that men will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by the words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Your words are important, how you speak. It comes down, of course, to your belief in Jesus Christ, but your words are very, very important. So let's talk about living out for God. This is where I want to put some stuff down to you. Look what it says in verse 7 and 9. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Have you ever grumbled doing something kind for somebody? You know, under your breath, you kind of like, yeah, you kind of grumble a little bit. I don't even want to do this, Lord, but I'll do it anyhow. (laughs) Yeah, we all can. We all can until we have that moment with the Lord. Peter says right in the beginning, he says, the end of all things is near. Now, let me give you a little quick understanding of what that means there. Because, see, this book was written about 62 A.D., Jerusalem and the temple were destroyed in 70 A.D. by the Rome. And so a lot of people kind of give a connection because this was prophetic to all things are going to be changing. The whole Leviticus priest, the nation itself, because Rome's going to come in and finally destroy it. Because the people of the Israelites were not yielding to God and therefore weren't listening to God. And God came in and finally said, that's enough. God gave them three times to repent, three times as a nation. And the third time, that was it. In 70 AD, there was a destruction of all. So, I don't know about you, but that therefore, from the very beginning, is a reminder that we need to be clear-minded. Because if you're not clean-minded, it's going to affect your prayer. If you're worried about something, and all you're worried about something here, you're going to affect your prayer. Be clear-minded. Be self-controlled so you can pray. Understand what God's doing. I like this. Love others when you feel like it. They don't say that, does it? Love others deeply. What does that mean? Love them deeply. Love them when you don't feel like loving them and go beyond that. Take the extra mile. Isn't that hard? But I don't, Lord, this would be a prayer. Lord, I don't want to love them. They're hard to love. And this would be the response to the Lord. I know. I know, daughter. I know, son. But I loved you when you weren't lovable. How does it change your eyes, your eyes now? How do you see things? You see, always do that. That helps me. If God can love me, then I can love others. And everybody said, (laughs) love others covers a multitude of sins. This is powerful because, see, love comes with forgiveness. When you love someone, you will forgive them. And when you love them, you will bypass all of that hurts that they do. When someone's always hurting you and hurting you and hurting you, you say, Lord, how many times must I forgive them? Seven times 70? You know, 390 times and then tick them out? Huh? Sometimes people like to think, God, just give me a number. Just give me a number. I'm in there for the number. Check. Oh, yeah, check. Oh, two more, two more. Yeah. Hallelujah, I'm free. Yeah, unfortunately, God don't work that way. Could you imagine if God did work that way? 
You'd be happy with somebody here, but how about you? How about God just said, oh, that's it, son. Sorry, sorry. You're out of checks. Love covers a multitude of sins, and that's what you and I need to learn. So when the people in 1 Peter are being treated, mistreated, they have to forgive. They have to forgive them. They have to let the love of Christ that's in them be displayed to the people around them. And their love needs to forgive those who have hurt them, harmed them. That's hard to do. Very hard to do. One of the things that James teaches us in 5.19, it says, My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, look at the difference here. Remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from an error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sin. You see what Jesus did for us? So when we go and we share Jesus with someone else, we pay up our love, helps them to, to receive God's love that will forgive a multitude of sins. When I came to Jesus Christ, when I came to Jesus Christ, I was lost like anybody else, boy. I was on a whole different track. And when you came to Jesus Christ, where were you? What happened? Did you need sin to be forgiven? Did your attitude, did your attitude stink? Your attitude will determine what happens in your life. It is so huge. So let's move on to a couple more here. So if we're going to live differently, live with a focus, live with the right attitude, we have to also live out our spiritual gifts. And every one of you have a spiritual gift. God has called you for such a time as this. Verse 10 and 11. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others. Someone say others. That's why you have a gift, to serve others. Your gifting is not about you. To serve others faithfully and ministering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength of God provides. So that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Your giftings God has given you. Here's the problem. If I gave you a gift and you didn't open it. Now, if you gave me a gift on a Tuesday, I may not open that until next Tuesday. I drive my wife crazy because I never open gifts right away. I will wait and at that moment to open up a gift. But the key about a gift is to open it. Now, some people, they get a gift, they just have to tear it apart. Me, I can let envelopes or something sit on my bureau for a long time until I am ready to sit down with no, to really do some reflective and just to take it all in. And that's what I do. But that, not, not everybody does that, but everybody opens it eventually. If God has given you gifts and you don't use them for his glory... If God has given you ability to do something, he has equipped you with something, and you don't help the kingdom of God for his glory, you are not using your gift. If someone knows how to play piano, but they don't play piano. If someone knows how to sing, if someone knows how to give, if someone knows how to help, but they don't do it, God's given a gifting, you are accountable for not using your gifts. This is what this is saying. And only 14, that Romans, there's so many scriptures that are talking about this. So important. What does love really look like? Love looks like when you use your gift to love God. That's it. When you use your gift to love God, because that's why you have a gift. 
after hospitality without grumbling. You know, when you're doing it, it's your gift. Some people are very hospitable. You go to their home and they're just, you know what? There are some people who go to their home and they're like, hey, there's a kitchen, there's a refrigerator, and help yourself. That is their hospital. That's them. Hey, listen, it may look different, but it's the same. You know what I mean? I'm sometimes like, there's the kitchen, there's this, help yourself. And I mean that. My casa, your casa, you know? And so, nevertheless, we need to do our giftings before the Lord and bless Him because we only have a short time, short time to bless His name. Some say short time. And then one day we're before Him face to face, and then we get to meet Him and all He is. It's so important that you use your gifts. Your gifts, the gifts that the Bible has, there's about 24, 25 gifts in the Bible. Now, that's not... That's not limited to what God can do in other giftings in your life. But there's about 24 to 25 gifts in the Bible. And you need to recognize, and if you've never taken a gift questionnaire, uh, we have one here. Just let us know. Usually when you go to, uh, to the membership class, we give you a gift analysis so you can see where your giftings are. And it really can help you to do ministry. We need to know where your giftings are. And so if you haven't yet done that, do that so you can see where your giftings are. It's really, really, really important. Look, look at verse 12 to 19. Oh, let's, let's break it down first. <laughs> look at 14. 14 is a beautiful portion of Scripture. It says, if you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of the glory of God rests upon you. Uh, When you're in a trial and someone kind of harasses you, how does it feel? Do you like it? No. Nobody really likes it, do they? But what does the scripture say? If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, meaning you have a belief system and people don't like that belief system you have and they insult you. You are blessed for the spirit of, of glory and God rests on you. You see, we don't look at that. We look, when people treat us wrongly, we feel bad. Why do you feel bad? Did they treat Jesus badly? Yeah, yeah they treated Jesus badly. Well, if they treated Jesus badly, they're going to treat you. And that's what the scripture tells us. So listen, 1 Peter 3.9 tells us, Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but... With blessing. Let's look at 1516. Because in trials you live in, you have to learn to praise God. You'll know that you have real faith when you praise Him when things are not going well. You know that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ when you actually take God and bring God into the problem. If you suffer, not if you suffer, someone spell life for me. Ready? L I F E. I love that little word, life. What's in the middle of life? If. Because if you do this, this will happen. If you do that, this will happen. And what we do in our ifs will determine what happens in our life. If you suffer, it should not be as one, a murderer or a thief or any kind of criminal. So if you suffer because you've done evil, that's on you. Or even if you're a meddler, we'll leave that one alone. However, If you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear his name. That's what the disciples, they beat the disciples up. And then they say, and they bless God because they got a beating for the Lord. People today, when it gets tough, they want out of the kitchen. 
When it gets hard, people don't want to stay in the kitchen. They want a blessed life. They want an easy life. God, I don't want to do much, but I want you to bless my life so good that it's happy every day. That's Western Christianity. Christianity is standing up in the midst of hardship, standing up with the message of the gospel, sharing it with family members that don't want to hear it, sharing it with people wherever you are, going into places and stores and restaurants and being who you are, and wherever you are, there he is, and let God take it from there. He's supposed to be your light and your salt, amen? Well, light has to be seen, and salt needs to be tasted. Someone say amen. Amen. Verse 17 and 19 in closing. I want to share this with you. Living to praise God in life's trials, for it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. If it is to bring with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Continue to do good. It's tough, saints, I know. It's not easy. But can I just tell you something here? It wasn't easy for Jesus either. Jesus had a short time on earth, and it was tough. It was tough. But what do we do? Look at this portion of Scripture real quick. I want you to look at, I'm going to go verse 20. Look at verse 20 right here. It says, remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obey my teaching, they will obey yours also. You see, this is where it really meets the line. We want everybody to like us. That's just human nature to, to, to let people like you. No one wants to go around saying, you know what, no one likes me. I mean, sometimes when you're a kid and stuff, you know, people think, you know, some kids are pushed off the side and they feel like no one likes them. And, and then I don't care if you're an adult or if you're young, you want people to like you, especially in your own family. The problem is, though, we're afraid, we're afraid of being who we are because of what other people say. I've learned a long time ago, I really don't care what people say about me, but I do care that I represent Christ Jesus. And if I want to represent Christ Jesus correctly, then I have to care of what I do and what I say. I just cannot be flippantly and say what I want to say and who cares what they think and da-da-da. No, 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 no. That's foolish. That's foolish. So we all care, but we don't care to the event where I'm going to change who I am to line up with something else. Because I am a Christian. I am a believer in Jesus Christ. I'm going to live for him. I am not perfect. I fall far from being perfect. But you know what? Everybody in heaven is not going to be perfect. And I'm going to be with a bunch of people just like me. How you like that one? Just look at your neighbor and say, you're not perfect. I know you think you, you are, but you're not. See, I, I want you to look at this. Look at this. This is a, a synopsis of chapter 4. This is a synopsis of chapter 4. Look, look with me. It reminds us that as we live in trial, as we live for God while under great trial, that we are to be sober Clear-minded, connected, 
as verse 7 tells us. Be self-controlled as you pray. Meaning your focus, you're under control. Your spirit is under control. It's not out of control, worried about this, complaining about this, staying on these one little subjects and, not, and forgetting everything else. Be self-controlled, verse 7 tells us. Verse 8 tells us to have a deep and a fervent love for God. Verse 9 tells us to offer the hospitalities, work in your giftings. 10 and 11 tells you to use those giftings. God gives them to you, whatever that gift is. Use it because you're accountable for it. Verse 12 says this, do not be surprised when trials come. I'm in trials. They don't like, they don't like where I stand. And you're surprised? I think we're experiencing more now than the last, you know, 40 years. Because there was a time it was good to be a Christian. You had no problems. Everybody were, I think Christians felt very comfortable now. Now, it's not that way at all. And as we continue, it's going to get a little bit more intense. Why? Because the world is deciding that God doesn't exist. God's not there. They don't believe. They believe it's an archaic book. What's a problem with that view that it's an archaic book only comes from a mentality that only has a small portion of time because God is eternal. And it so happens the eternal God is still alive, which does not make his book archaic, but very much alive, especially when the author of the book is still living. So how can you call something old if the author of the book is still alive? It's an excuse to not look at truth for the reason he came into the world. So believers in God, you need to be a representation of what truth is. His word. But you cannot know truth unless you get into his word and know what it says. And if you get so preoccupied by everything out there, you'll miss what God's trying to do in the living tabernacle. So we need to understand trials will come. Greater is he that's in you. In this world you shall have trials, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. In verse 12, when it tells us don't be surprised, we should recognize, okay, God, let's do it together. Why don't we say that? Let's do it together. That's how I've survived. It hasn't been on me because I've had my, my God by my side. That's how we've survived. It's putting God in the point of the vessel. It goes with verse 13. Rejoice in trials. What? Yeah. Rejoice in trials because your God is in the fire. Verse 15 and 16. Do not be ashamed. Don't be ashamed of the pressure. Don't be ashamed of the insults. But praise God. Sometimes we, we give too much attention to the outward. But we don't give much attention to what God's doing on the inward. Verse 15, 16 and 18 teaches us glorify God in all things. I want to say all things. We can go a lot there. Verse 19. It concludes it. Be committed and be faithful to God. Be committed to be faithful to God. Listen, you've got to be all in. Christianity is not passive. You need to be all in. Church is not just a couple hours on Sunday morning. Church is who you are. It's greater receive that's in you. And when we have small groups and we have all these things, if you're hungry for truth, you want to find yourself there. When it's time for prayer, you want to be there. Because you want more of God. You want God to do something. It's your participation that brings the presence of God. But it's not just in events. It's every day bringing God into everything. Man, this is what makes the boat float. 
I have so much fire in my bones right now, I could actually, I know you probably want this, but I could preach another message. Oh, don't encourage me. But it's true. Because see, when you think about how good God is, how good God is, something happens in the living tabernacle, but when you're not really connected to the fire, you don't feel the heat. But when you connect yourself to God, God will come in in such a powerful way, where all of a sudden, no matter what comes your way, you know who he is. He's the strength to your being. He's the hope to everything you need to do. He is who he said he is. And guess what? He's in your boat. And if he's in your boat, it's going to flow. You just have to take it one step. God, this is tough. Yeah, I know, son. I know, daughter. One step. But he says, be committed. Be faithful to me. Watch me work it out. Because he's a great God. He's a great God. God will take you to heights and take you to places where he wants to take you. But you have to do your part. You have to do your part in the process. I want to challenge you to read. And before you go to bed tonight, I want to challenge you to get into, read the whole book. Let me give you a lighter one. Then read the chapter 4 of 1 Peter. Just let the Spirit of God, let the Spirit of God just speak to your heart. And see how he challenges you in all of these areas, and especially in the midst of trials, in the midst of things that are hard in your life, questions that you have in your life, things that you don't have answers for. God wants a relationship with you, not religion. Religion will never bring you to God. The relationship of Jesus Christ will. Why don't you stand to your feet? Let's take a moment here and let's just pray. Those watching online, listen, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, maybe you're here today, Jesus Christ is not your personal Savior. And what does that mean, Pastor? Is this this? Jesus Christ wants to be your Savior. He actually, go one step further, he wants to be your best friend. And in order for that to happen, you have to yield your whole heart to him and say, Father, I've sinned. I've done my own thing. I've done it my own way. I ask you to forgive me for my sins. And this day, I give up my life. I surrender my life to you. That's exactly what God said. I surrender my life and I give it to you. And I ask you, Lord, that you would come into my heart. Lead me your way. Teach me your way. Help me so I can serve you. Here's the thing. All of my days, I now commit my life to you. That's what God wants to hear from your voice. Maybe you're online. All you have to say is, I commit my heart to you. Right here today, you could say, I want to commit my heart. Why don't everybody just say, I want to commit my heart to you. Father, I pray right now, because you rose from the dead on the third day, I ask God that you would help each person to come to a full understanding of you. May you touch each one. May you help us, God. That even in the trial, you're still the fourth man in the fire. You're there. You're only one prayer away. Father, we ask that you, right now that you change hearts in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Can you give God some praise in the house of the Lord? Well, we thank you for joining us today. Let's continue to believe that God is going to do a work in all of our lives and in His church, despite our current circumstances. If you would like to support the ministry of Salem First Assembly, you can do so by mailing to 430 Route 45, Salem, New Jersey, 08079, or by visiting our website at salemfirstag.org. 
please join us for service next Sunday at 10.30 a.m. Or you can watch service every Sunday afternoon on Facebook at Salem First Assembly or YouTube at Salem First AG. You can also listen to the message every Tuesday on Podbean. Have a blessed rest of your day. Let's remember to be a blessing and that life is living in faith every day.